Extreme Vocabulary is not your typical word of the day podcast. We don't just define words, we contextualize them in terms of their history, etymology, politics, and aesthetics. In other words, we look at the culture behind words. I'm here today with uh, Efren Lopez. Hello, hello. Great to be here. Dr. Should I have useful names or not? Oh, Dr. Efren Lopez, excuse me. It, it'll take a moment to get used to that one. Oh, uh, isn't it um, Dr. Efren Lopez, PhD? If we want to be like very um, complete about it, yes. I told them not to put anything and they put both, if you can believe that. I don't like being called doctor, you all know that. But it's Efren okay is, if you all do it. Efren is referring to a flyer that was recently sent out about a talk he's giving in which they put Dr. Efren Lopez, PhD, uh, on the flyer for to represent him. You could have been the, re the Reverend Dr. Lopez. Yeah. yeah, that's redundant for sure. Yeah, especially because I told them put nothing. <laughs> I said just my name. I think you have a, uh, somebody has a crush on you in the repro department. Yeah, <laughs> that's your answer to everything, Josh, <laughs> for me. <laughs> got a crush it must, it must have happened to him as well. Speaking of which, we also have our fearless producer and uh, Long Beach denizen, Joshua Adachi. Welcome to the garage, guys. So do you have to listen to Sublime all the time now, Josh, or no? It does sound a little better in Long Beach. <laughs> also, I've given up Santeria ever since moving here. Let us not forget the future, Dr. Abraham Encinas. Oh, if only that were true. That might not even happen, people. Who knows? Yeah. You say that now. I bet my life it will happen. Yeah, but I would have the same attitude as that friend, which, and I have that attitude right now too. I was just like, okay, I got this stupid degree, but can nobody talk about it? <laughs> I don't want anyone talking about it. Can we just move on? Yeah. Yes, yes. But the whole point of it was the bragging rights, but maybe that's why I didn't do it and you guys did. <laughs> and today I am, according to Zoom, I am Lakoki, but uh, I don't think I'm nearly attractive enough to, you know, handle that label. So I'm Aaron, of course. Welcome to Extreme Vocabulary. How are you doing, Aaron? I'm doing all right. Thank you. Just, you know, paddling along. But. 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 Paddle us down this river of knowledge. I like to go down the risky, whiskey river, risky river, the risky river occasionally, but more often the whiskey river and the river of knowledge when I want to look good, sure. <laughs> I think I think Aaron can take any metaphor and just run with it. <laughs> All the improvisation skills. Yeah, you're great at that. I suck at that, by the way. But yeah, you're you're awesome at that. Efren, uh, you were gonna, are you going to ask Efren something? Oh no, no, no! I think you're supposed to say today's word. Today's word, of course. I thought they already knew, but of course, I need to let them know that things. Today's word is. It's an oldie but goodie. Persuasion. <laughs> Oldie but goodie. Yeah, today's word is persuasion. People, should we be persuading anyone of anything? Because I feel like we're in a cultural rut right now where like no one is persuading anything, anyone of anything, because everyone is already persuaded by their own beliefs. And so just like trying to persuade people just seems pointless. If everyone adopted that attitude, of course, it's not going to happen. If we keep hope going, maybe it's possible. 
well, in a world where it's hard to, to figure out what's up and what's down, the one thing I'm sure of is that we should persuade people to listen to this podcast, Extreme Vocabulary. Yeah, because we're not persuaded yet. We're still wide open on things, right? Like a mason jar. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. Things got more embedded. And what's interesting about that to me, I guess, is like I used to feel more flexible in my beliefs. And then something happened and I think it was like white supremacy or something like that started to be overt. And the reaction against white supremacy had to be equally kind of, I don't know, I guess, impassioned. And um, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know exactly what it was, but I felt this around 2016 or so. That like, oh, I better like embed myself in the progressive movement or I'll be um, mistaken as like a white supremacist or something like that. Yeah, the, the stakes are so high that any little signal is uh, anything, anything at all, like could be interpreted as like some signal of, you know, just total conservative or extreme right politics i should say or like just progressive or leftist politics or something like that um not that i'm advocating a middle ground either because i don't like middle ground people i feel like uh middle ground people get shot by both sides because <laughs> they're in the middle of the crossfire you know so you just end up getting shot by both sides but dr king labeled them as the white moderates also known as you know those who um promote the status quo, who's benefiting the most from, you know, the, the way things are as they are, who's making the most money. Mm -hmm. That's what you got to look at right there. Yeah. Um, I mean, we can come back to this so, so that I can do the, the whole like, uh, you know, definition and etymology thing. The persuasion is a noun. Uh, I'm going to break it apart into the, the three parts. So you have like the prefix per, and then you have the noun suede. So that's S-U-A-D-E, not S-U-E-D-E. -E. And then- Perfect song for us, by the way. <laughs> and then you have the suffix, so I-O-N. So you have per suede and then I-O-N as a suffix. So let me take it apart very quickly or explain one of the, each of the three parts, I should say. So per is the prefix, right? And it's, it kind of means a lot of things, um, um, or at least like a set of four different things. It means something like through or throughout. It can also mean thoroughly and completely. Um, it can also mean uh, to put something like away entirely, or it can be the word very or perfectly. So it, it could mean something like to persuade would mean something like, uh, you know, to convince someone thoroughly or to convince completely or to complete uh, or to convince um, perfectly or something like that. Of course, you have the word suede. Um, suede used to be the word that people would use when they wanted to say persuade, but suede got taken over by persuade. So you'll hear, you know, it's very rare, but you will sometimes see in writing people say, suasion 
as opposed to persuasion, but they mean the same thing. That's the exact same thing. But again, pers persuade or persuasion has taken over um, just the, the simpler form, right? Suede or suasion. And then uh, suede and suasion just mean to exhort or to urge someone to do something. Um, okay, so then the suffix, by the way, is just like, a, it's just a suffix that turns verbs into action nouns. And so together you have persuasion, which just means, you know, the, the it just means to convince others thoroughly so that they'll cooperate with you or submit to something or agree with you. It's uh, really just like an argument or appeal. You want people, you want to induce people to believe the thing you're trying to convince them of, or you want to have them act in the way that you, that you uh, are hoping they will act. The um, hearts, and, hearts and minds campaign. Is that fair to say? Uh, hearts and minds. Um, well, let me come back to that question though. Because I feel like, um, uh, you know, the question I asked in the beginning was like, should we pers be persuading people of anything? Um, persuasion feels a bit, a bit, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to say this tactfully, I guess, but maybe I'll just say it outright. Persuasion feels a bit domineering, I feel, or at least that's how people usually tend to talk about it. Um, you know, because again, you're, you're trying to get people to do the thing you want them to. So if you phrase it that way, you couldn't, there's like a, a way that you can interpret that as a bit domineering. Um, and I'm wondering whether we're actually getting to hearts and minds when we persuade. I think it's an open question for me. So I don't know what you guys would say about that. Um, but again, uh, we can come back to that. Um, so, I've given you the OED definition already, but there's a few other ones that um, in the OED that uh, are important. So persuasion, again, it's, you know, to convince others so that they will like cooperate or agree with you. But persuasion can also be the content of what you believe, right? So you could say something like, you could ask someone, what is your political persuasion? And so when you use it in that sense, you're asking about like the content of their politics um, or the content of their religious beliefs, right? Like what's your religious persuasion? So, and then uh, persuasion could also just refer to the people who hold those political beliefs or those religious beliefs. So it could be uh, persuasion could refer to like a sect or a denomination. So those are a few of the different definitions there. The etymology of the word, it comes from uh, the French and Latin, and it does just mean to be convinced of an argument. Um, the other thing I'll say is that, uh, you know, persuasion is like, so, you know, the OED has this like frequency band from like um, one to eight. And so the frequency band is really like, uh, it's really like this Google, they rely on this Google program, the Ngram, you know, and it just counts like all the words that are being used out there at the moment. Um, 
And so the this frequency band that the OED is using is really like, you know, if you take a sample of a million words, um, you know, like how many times this would this word appear in, in that sample? And so if you have something like, uh, uh, okay, so like persuasion appears in frequency band five. So that means that for every million words, persuasion will show up like one to 10 times. And so band one, by the way, band one uh, words are like totally uncommon and like rarely encountered words. Whereas like band eight words are considered like words that just show up all the time. So those would be words like, you know, like uh, um, pronouns, you know, he, she, it, they, them. Um, it would be conjunctions and, or, but, et cetera. Uh, or, um, or even articles like the and a, et cetera. So persuasion shows up just like right in the middle. It's like frequency band five. So it's right in the middle. So, you know, it's common enough, I would say. Um, whereas suasion, which was the older form of persuasion is a rare word now and doesn't show up quite as frequently anymore. So there you go. So yeah, so that would mean by the way that persuasion is a kind of word that literate people would use and that usually shows up in, you know, like uh, that kind of writing. So there you go. I threw, I, I realized I just threw a bunch of information at you guys, but yeah. What do you guys make of that or any thoughts at all right now? I have like a working theory about why persuasion became more popular, but yeah, I've only seen suasion in kind of older, like uh, academic texts sometimes, but mm -hmm. also in, it's also used um, often I've read uh, like moral suasion. Like when talking about morality, often I've, I've seen the phrase moral suasion used a lot. Uh, so almost, it, that word kind of goes with, um, moral a lot. Um, here's my theory, and I don't know what you all think. I'm just taking this out of my whatever. I, I don't know if this is true. I think persuasion became more popular because it's a stronger sounding word, persuasion, whereas suasion is just so watery, like it's just so light and smooth, <laughs> like suasion. It almost sounds sensual, and that's, you, you know, you want persuasion to be a little bit more like impactful so persuasion sounds way more strong um so i'm thinking that's why persuasion took over because suasion is too slithery of a word you don't want people to be thinking about pleasure and orgasms or anything like that while they're thinking about persuasion right <laughs> well that's not even what i meant but i guess so like you went you went from what, like zero to 60 immediately on that but yeah <laughs> zero to 55 fair yeah, um, I mean, I think you're 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 kind of uh, well. I shouldn't say touching it, considering what Aaron just said. But yeah, you're like near the the idea. I think behind persuasion taking over persuasion, um, because again, like the the pre that prefix per right, it means like very like so very suaded, you know. Um, so. I, f I do feel like people like to, or, or, or like populations like to uh, attach themselves to words that just have like a stronger meaning. Kind of like the way we use 
words like incredible, like incredible just means that something can't be believed, right? But now we just kind of, we, we took the strength of that word and just kind of like overused it, you know, like incredible just means now that you're like surprised at something, um, you know. TV show too, that's incredible. Right, right. So I think like something like that happened with persuasion, right? Where it's like, persuasion was fine, right? It's like, how can I sway you to believe and whatever, right? But then it was like, I want to totally swayed you <laughs> you know like that's the attitude we have like so persuasion has that sense of like how can i thoroughly you know convince you of this thing that i'm trying to get you into or something like that uh abraham do you know i couldn't help but think but is the word suasion related to the word sway uh i thought that too by the way and and the reason i think both of us had that same thought is is that we we use sway to mean persuade like can i sway you into my way of thinking but the two words are actually really different and they have different etymologies too um uh sway s-w-a-y comes from like the norse languages so it's like you know frisian and norwegian and things like that and other languages of that sort so it comes from those languages and sway means, oh, sway refers to motion, you know? So like a branch swaying means that it's like bobbing up and down or side to side because the wind is pushing it. Um, but persuasion comes from French and Latin. So that means that it's based in the romance languages. And it really just means to convince, right? Or, or convincing others. So they have like really different meanings, but they do cross in that one sense, right? Where we say like, how can I sway you into my way of thinking? Yeah. I can be swayed. Yeah. <laughs> you can be swayed? Okay. There's a medical condition also called swayback. What's that? Um, from what I was looking up, it, it's like when the belly protrudes too far and then the hips protrude out too much and it kind of looks really just exaggerated on both sides, I guess. Oh, okay. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, something along those lines. Are you learning about all of these medical conditions because we're all growing old now? No, I just like knowing random things, be old or young, but maybe, maybe a subconsciously that's going on. Who knows? I did have a question from earlier. It's not a very good one, but how good do you think Patrick Swayze was at suasion? <laughs> Very. <laughs> He's from a long line of suaders. He got them to dance in a dirty manner. I mean, I was persuaded by him. I don't know about you all, but. Yeah, um, Dirty Dancing was a good movie. I liked it as a teen when I watched it. I, mean I, don't know ghost. To, I mean, I don't know how to sway in the way they do, but. I'm a terrible dancer. Yeah, I don't have the hip movement for that. But uh, rest in peace to Patrick Swayze, though, right? Yeah. A few years ago, yeah. So I'll, I want to say a few more things about persuasion, by the way. So uh, Aristotle defines rhetoric as persuasion. So he makes this equation between rhetoric and persuasion. The definition is it's, uh, rhetoric is the art of persuasion, the art right. of, or, or study of persuasion, yeah. 
No, yeah, yeah, you had it exactly word for word the first time, right? Rhetoric is the art of persuasion. And then I might, have, first, thought, I might have thought this stuff before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're a rhetoric teacher, right? I mean, uh, that's what uh, uh, Chris would call you, right? You're a rhetoric teacher. Um, and so, like, persuasion has these three elements to it, right? It's uh, so what are they, Aaron? Do you remember? You want them in the original Greek? <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not? Logos, ethos, and pathos. Right, so like logos is the actual like argument itself, so like the content of what you're saying. And then pathos is just like how the audience feels and how you can get them to feel differently. I like and to call then, it the emotional quotient of the equation. Right, it's the, yeah, it's the emotional quotient, exactly. Um, and it's about, again, how the audience feels, right? And how you're going to get them to feel by, or how you're going to transform their, their feelings or whatever through, through the content of the logos, right? Through the thing that you're saying. And then there's the, the ethos, which, um, which really just refers to like the character of the speaker, right? Like reliability or trustworthiness and things like that, right? It's I have to use the term credibility to encompass all of that basically, but yeah. Yeah, credibility, exactly. Um, that's the word I was trying to get at. <laughs> yeah, the credibility of the speaker, right? It's, uh, it's. I feel like it's related to the word ethic, right? It's like, you know, is this person credible, trustworthy? You know, can we put our faith into what they're saying, etc.? Not after you look at their stock portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so here's something. So the thing about like all these Wall Street people who then show up to Congress and can't explain what they're doing, and they always say the thing, they always say this, right? It's like, oh, it, this is really hard. You know, I can't really like sit here and explain it to you in two, three minutes. Like they just don't want to participate in persuasion at all, right? Or their their persuasion technique is you're too stupid to understand this. So just let me keep doing what I'm doing. And that's how they continue to get away with, you know, they're really, they're gambling because that's what the stock market is. And when they get away with it, because people don't pay attention to the credibility enough when they see something like that happen, some obvious example of that's, how is that logical? How is that, you know, mm -hmm. apply to every single person, right? You know, no doesn't make sense how am i going to listen to you anymore but no people still listen to them for whatever stupid reason you see that technique used with uh, tech people when they're trying to talk to congress about surveillance too right like about their surveillance tech. well it's there's a lot of complications here you know we have to do this and that and a b and c like i think google when google talked to congress there was a lot of that like kind of like a lot of like jargon and like, that's the mark of a that's the mark of a con artist the fast talking the just mm -hmm. you know just trying to get you to make a decision because you can't process all the, the blabbering you know jargon that they're spewing to you mm -hmm. we, find think, it, we find that people often fall for it unfortunately yeah i also think the the congress people make it worse though because then of course they do they show that they don't understand anything about it it's like can you tell me why my laptop froze the other day or some stupid question like that it's like what <laughs> oh my god so i feel like we're stuck between some ignorant people and then some people who think they know too much and don't want to explain anything 
Um, and so there's like no persuasion going on in Congress at all. But uh, so did you guys, did you guys see that one Huffington Post uh, opinion piece where it was actually titled something like, I don't know how to explain to you that you should care about other people. Did you guys see that? I've seen the phrasing and the title somewhere, but I don't know that I've actually read the, the article, but yeah. It's about, you know, trying, it's about like somebody who's just frustrated trying to convince people to get vaccinated. And it's like, uh, I feel like the title is really interesting because it's saying that like the person is just completely tired of trying to persuade others. And that's the question I was asking you guys in the beginning. It's like, should we be trying to persuade other people? I can, can I answer that? Like, let me try to answer that with another question, which is a terrible thing to do. Um, are we politically, uh, at least, are we in a post-persuasion era in this sense? Um, I feel sometimes that politicians uh, aren't trying to persuade us of their position anymore. They're just trying to persuade and reinforce to us that we're on their side, that like, this is our side. And so we're going to figure out what the political positions are. So they're not really convincing us of the reasoning or logic behind the policy or position. They're just convincing us that, hey, you're with me, right? So we're going to do this. Um, mm -hmm. That's what I feel, especially, you know, Trump, like, oh, like, it's mostly about how you're on his side and he's like you and he's fighting for you, but there's no actual persuasion about the positions they're taking. The most, um, what's the word? Oh God, I had it. Um, the most transactional con man you'll ever meet. If you don't, if you, he sees no value in you, you mean nothing to him. You're a, you might as well be a piece of shit alone. Yeah. And, and yeah. And one of the ways that I, I see this manifest and I'll try not to go too much into my like Kami. I mean, I guess that's my role here. I'm part of the Kami of the group, but like, <laughs> You see this with people who believe who are virulently against uh, vaccination because they think it's government overreach, right? They think that the government's overreaching by mandating in any way vaccination, but they sit back quiet like a kitten when armed police people are beating and killing people, which is a true overreach of state power, right? But it's because they're lodged into their position already. It's not about persuading them logically. It's just people are lodged into their position. They know, oh, I'm on this side of the bubble, so I need to be for the police and against vaccination. And then the opposite happens, right? So I don't know. Maybe I'm just an old man on a, on a, on a soapbox, but I feel like there's a lot of people just have a side and they've just stuck to it. And it doesn't matter what the actual argument is. So they don't need to be persuaded. They're already persuaded. Mm -hmm. It's about maintaining the bubble and, you know, blocking out anything that doesn't fit in with that narrative, essentially. And, you know, it's like, wh what happened to your moral compass? You know what's right and wrong. And all of a sudden, you, you stay quiet when he's doing it. But all of a sudden, when somebody you don't like is doing it, then you're just clutching the pearls and the rally cry and all that. It's, it's, it's the stupidest hypocrisy in the world. I don't know why so many people fall for it. I am in the middle. I'm going to stay in the middle and let Abraham hate me in all ways. Because, uh, I think it's possible. And this, you know, the conversations people are having a hard time having is like the possibility that, yes, we need to take the vaccine, 
but also, yes, it's a little dicey to watch the government grow in that capacity. Or it's it's like a little scary to see um, that the government can uh, shut down whatever it wants to, I guess, you know, and leave other things open. For example, the whole, and it's, it's very hypocritical and nonsensical. If they really mm-hmm. wanted everybody to eat safely, the government could come in and set out like outdoor areas where the restaurants could serve people. But they're like, no, it's actually on the restaurant and you can't be indoors without a mask on unless you're eating and drinking. That mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense, you know? So there, there is a way in which um, the government is kind of revealing its hypocrisy, <clears throat> but the coercion or the desire to persuade is a nice thought, I guess. Like other governments might do a hard mandate and our government is, I don't know, kind of uh, trying to maintain the idea of like the uh, individual rights just because I guess that's what America is. I guess like the way that America works is people do whatever they want and somehow it's all stayed together. It's all stuck together until now in terms of our standard of living, like increasing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Sure, you could do whatever you want, but there are consequences. The problem is some people don't want any consequences for themselves, only for others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I do. Right. I think that somehow the messaging got really uh, strange around vaccines. There was definitely misinformation and people are just kooks when it comes to that. But also to be fair, like none of us are really educated enough to, and they're not really educating us enough um, mm-hmm. about how vaccine, uh, how RNA works. People forgot what RNA is from high school. <laughs> and then they come on the TV and they're like, oh, uh, you know, uh, you know, these are the vaccines. The basic TV doesn't really give you its opinion. So you get just mm-hmm. like, this is the vaccine coming out on TV. Uh, some people are saying it's good. You know, these scientists are saying it's good. Then you hop online. And then it's just completely radicalized where it's like, no, this is actually a government ploy and a, a, other people being like, let's uncritically accept it because it's going to, um, you know, because I'm smart mm-hmm. and I, I trust science or whatever. But it was, it did come out faster than we do things normally. Like the FDA didn't approve it by the time we mostly started taking it. We might what do I know about the FDA? What do I know about these emergency orders? I didn't really want anything to be injected into my RNA or whatever, or to have my RNA become a part of the, uh, the vaccine process. But we're just like, we, we can't take complicated information anywhere except school, it seems like, which is a shame. Mm. It's like we get educated and then as soon as our education ends, we just get stupider and stupider. <laughs> I hear a few things. I hear you saying a few things, Josh. I hear you saying, first of all, that the, the government didn't take the logos part of persuasion seriously enough, which is the part where you're supposed to talk to us and educate us and tell us about RNA and DNA, or just how vaccines work to begin with, right? It's like, 
he didn't do that part. And so all they ever did was like pay some movie stars to come and tell us to get vaccinated, which doesn't work because we hate movie stars that become political. <laughs> as, as, but, not, as, but not influencers. I mean, yeah. Minor celebrities. Yeah. And that's the other stupid thing. It's just like, oh, my, I don't know. I, I hate I hate a lot of what's going on on social media, you know? I hate the society. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I hate the society. Camus. Yeah. This is where there's a reason I like Camus. Yeah. And the other thing is, by the way, so when I say, like, should we be persuading people? Um, I, 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 mean, I mean it, like, in the sense that I've been talking about it so far, right? Like, this idea of, like, I need to totally and thoroughly persuade you right so we have that prefix in 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 the word it's like the extremely thoroughly uh persuaded person right we're like we need people to be that way and i feel like that's what's happening right now it's right it's like if you buy into like um you know anti-vax ideas i feel like there's a whole bunch of other stuff that then comes along with that that you buy into because you have to be persuaded. You have to be like totally, completely bought into that whole package. And it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of the word persuasion here and how it might be operating in our current cultural logics. I'm trying to stay unpersuaded and that's what puts me in the middle and makes me uh, wrong almost all the time. It's odd man out. <laughs> Wrong is very subjective. Well, yeah, it's kind of not my job to be right. Um, yeah. Friend, I want your opinion. I, I, well, I'm thinking of maybe part of the issue is have we lost our ability to, pers- to persuade people? In other words, um, you know, why, why hasn't the government or why didn't the government come out with better explanations for like mRNA vaccines, um, right? Or, you know, why, why is it so difficult for people to articulate their political positions sometimes, right? I, it's like maybe there is some, somewhat of a lost art. So in that case, as English teachers, I think we come in very <laughs> important here, uh, you know, how to, how to actually do research on things and how to express your research. Like, you know, during, I'll just really quick, but, you know, during the pan, the worst of the pandemic last year, I had so much anxiety about it that I, the only way that I could sort of ease my anxiety was to read an article about, um, about the virus every day. So pretty much every day I read some kind of, some of them scientific articles. So like within a few months, I felt like I knew almost everything about this. Like, but again, I'm not a scientist, I'm, but I am trained as a researcher. So I had some faith but like who in the world other than me with my anxiety would have time to ever do that um and then of course i didn't think to like explain it because no one's going to listen to a freaking literature teacher about like the vaccine mm-hmm. um so the only thing i did was like i said the best way for me to persuade my family to take the vaccine is for me to take it so i, I was the first one to take it i was the first one to take it among my friends i took it in january of 2020 um because oh that was the easiest way for me to persuade everyone. Hey, I took it. And I'm like a conspiracy theorist. You all know me. 
So like, um, I was sure that with the science we had, it was safe. Um, but, but you never know, you know, you never know, you know. No, I think it is safe, but a lot of people got a lot of different information. Even knowing that it's probably safe though, I just didn't like that, you know, they made my body make the, make the little spike protein, you know? Like I became a coronavirus factory for myself. Yeah, I mean, that, that happens. In all fairness, I think you do that naturally anyways. Like things enter you and you don't know about it. These processes happen. No, I know about it. No, the, yeah, this is what happened. This is why you get a fever and all that. Like when you're sick, it's just, it's, it happens all the time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's difficult. I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, you know, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, for one thing, there's like long COVID, right? So there's like these, I, I'm not, I took the vaccine as soon as I could too. So I don't, don't get me wrong. Um, but there is like long COVID or whatever. We don't really know what's, why COVID lasts long time for people. And then we're producing just the spike protein, hoping that the spike protein itself is basically harmless. Yeah. But we don't know what's going to, we don't, it probably doesn't have anything to do with uh, long COVID, but you know we're trying to get lucky on that. Well, no, if anything, the vaccine has been proven to prevent long haul COVID, or, mm -hmm. or to to curtail it. Um, yeah, I don't. There are always going to be exceptions. But we didn't really know that until a little while. Anyways, because this has never happened before. Yeah. 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 And and then here's the other part, uh, Josh, that I forgot. I wanted to comment on. Um, you know, the government told everybody to stay home, but then they didn't really give us all the necessary things to be able to do that, right? Like the money, right? Like they just gave us like the most minimum amount possible. And I thought that was all kinds of messed up, you know? So it's like everybody's criticizing the government, but we're also criticizing it for different reasons and i think that's also part of like the argument here grocery workers basically saved everybody's life my healthcare workers too like my bro yeah yeah putting themselves every day at risk practically yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. My, my brother was the only member of his staff of the entire healthcare facility that he went to that didn't get covid Dang. Wow. My older brother, he um he goes to a, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu do dojo and he said that most of the guys there, he was he's in the healthcare field too. So he got early, like in January, February, he got his vaccine too because of that. Um, but uh, uh so he, he was like no question for him at all. But he said most of the guys in the dojo like were deniers and they think it's just the flu. And he said like almost every single one of them got COVID at some point. Yeah, it's just the flu until you get it. <laughs> but anyway, I also think um, the virus, the, the COVID-19 virus was a really great persuader because, you know, when it shut everything down, it pretty much told us that the, the working class, working class people are definitely super important to the <laughs> economy 
even though we've been treating them like trash and saying that they're uneducated and that, you know, if you don't go to school, then you're going to end up as a grocery worker or some stupid classes thing like that. And, you know, the, the virus pretty much like knocked that idea out of everybody's head. <laughs> it's just like, nope, it turns out that they're all essential and Briefly. things fall apart without them. I'd like to believe that we're going to carry that, um, that. Oh, you muted yourself. Oh, sorry. You were muted. Some people, I mean, yeah, there was that moment where we all realized that we really relied on, um, the service workers of the world, uh, the people who were delivering food, people who were, uh, cooking food and uh, keeping the grocery stores open, but I don't know. I don't know if we'll keep that respect as a society going forward. I hope so. Mm -hmm. I think it's been proven we didn't because so many of those work sectors are, are, are like fighting for unionization, fighting for higher wages, fighting for better conditions, and they're being, they're being, uh, rebu you know, rebuffed. Like, you know, so it's like, once the needs of humans come up against the needs of capital, capital has usually wins. And that's what we saw with the government, right? The government couldn't help us to the extent where it would infringe on the needs of, of capital. So then they had to make all these crazy, you know, um, negotiate like the uh, compromises about that. Right. So like, yeah, we could open restaurants, but we can't and blah, 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 because like, the you know, business and capital need to move. And if we paid everybody enough money to survive without the economy, would you know, then we have we have we have communism or something. And people people think that that's going to infringe on their freedoms. So, you know, anyways. You're muted, Aaron. You're muted. <laughs> Sorry about that. Let's take a break and uh, we'll be back with Literature Corner in just a bit. you for that little break trip to the water closet is occasionally a thing to do uh efren you found some literature for us in the form of a poem correct yeah yeah today i actually have a poem by one of my favorite if not my favorite like contemporary poet lee young lee uh just as a little side story i once met lee young lee at a poetry festival and saw him do a reading and 
it was just he just totally enraptured the room. It was the reading was done in a church, a small church, uh, and after the during the Q and A. Uh, I remember a, a young college student raised her hand and asked him a question,、uh, this big question. But she prefaced her question by saying, "Lee Young Lee, like,、um, or,、uh, I just want you to know that you're our Beatles. <laughs> like, you're, you as a poet are like our Beatles. Like, you're like." I just thought that was an incredible compliment for like a poet, because supposedly nobody cares about poetry, right?、Um, today I have a poem called "Arise, Go Down." Uh, by Lee Young Lee. It's from the collection, which is an incredible collection called "The City in Which I Love You."、Uh, so I'm going to read an excerpt from it,、uh, and、uh, let me start. For years now, I have come to conclusions without my father's help, discovering on my own what I know, what I don't know, and seeing how one cancels the other. I've become a scholar of cancellations. Here, I stand among my father's roses and see that what punctures outnumbers what consoles. The cruel and the tender never make peace. The one climbs, the one descends, petal by petal, to the hidden ground no one owns. I see which is taken away by violence or persuasion. The rose announces on earth the kingdom of gravity. A bird cancels it. My eyelids cancel the bird. Anything might cancel my eyes. Distance, time, war. My father said, "Never take your both eyes off the world before he rocked me." All night we waited for the knock that would have signaled, "All clear, come now." It would have meant escape. It never came. I didn't make the world I leave you with, he said. And then, being poor, he left me only this world in which there is always a family waiting in terror before they're rended. This world wherein a man might arise, go down, and walk along a path, and pause, and bow to roses—roses roses his father raised. And admire them, for one moment unable, thank God, to see in each and every flower the world canceling itself. And that's a excerpt from "Arise, Go Down" by Lee Young Lee. That's kind of like the, I guess, the latter two thirds of the poem. <laughs> Let me repeat the line that. Uses our word. I see that which is taken away by violence or persuasion.、Um, so this is interesting. I guess that line. I see that which is taken away by violence or persuasion. I mean, it has the the conjunction or right, which should mean you know that maybe violence or persuasion are different, right, or their oppositions. Except that, I when I'm reading it, I feel like they're they're behaving the same way though, because violence and persuasion take things away, which is I think part of what I was asking about in the beginning. You know, like is there some kind of violence and persuasion、um, 
Or is there a oh, different? Yeah, every rose has its thorn, right? Right. So when I what the way I'm reading this poem or understanding it is that, um, you know, so the rose stands in for I guess like all the beauty of the world, but also all its evil, right? Like there's beauty and then there's thorns, right? Or there's like the the, the uh, what do you call it? The, the leaves of the flower, right? Or the petals of the flower, and then and then there are the thorns. It's like their refugee status, right? Their 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 escape is like the thorn part of it, right? And what the <clears throat> what the speaker is doing is trying to see these roses that like their father raised and just like admire them and just for a little while just forget about the fact that there's all this like that there's all these thorns everywhere in the world or at least that's what the last line says right is a desire for one moment for one moment the speaker is unable to see in each in each and every flower the world canceling itself if that makes sense to you all interestingly i think um i like pointing out or I want to point out that this poem is from 1990. So it's kind of um, definitely pre-cancel culture. It's kind of funny um, how, how often the, uh, the poet uses that word, like everything's just canceling each other. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of things I could add maybe, you know, Liang Li's parents were exiles. Uh, there were Chinese exiles in Indonesia and then became exiles from Indonesia, uh, after which they eventually settled in uh, the United States in the 60s. So I really see the resonances of that in the end of the poem, right? A family waiting in terror, um, uh, a knock that would have meant escape, right? You see that. Uh, the second resonance is uh, the rose, uh, right? The flower is... You know, the, I think I've probably said this on this podcast, but you know the reason why uh, men wear uh, lapel flowers, or it used to be actual flowers. Now it's usually a fabric one. But um, the reason why men wear lapel flowers on their co sport coats. Why? Oh, because back in the olden days, um, you know that that was what uh, soldiers. You know, a lot of men's wear comes from like kind of military wear. Uh, soldiers would wear a rose or flower on their lapel to remind them of the fragility of life, right? That and so that it was like an acknowledgement um, as soldiers were going into battle and into war of like how fragile life is and how their life could be taken. And that, that was something that I think they were taught to accept and learn through that or as symbolically through that flower on the lapel. Mm -hmm. So that's why sometimes uh, a few times I've done this, not very often, where I've worn an actual um, flower on my on my sport coat. Mm. Nice. I think that's to go back to what Abraham was talking about, um, the idea of persuasion or violence having a similar effect. Um, I I really like that possibility in this poem, and it does seem accurate i think we have to assume that these petals are kind of like metaphors for people or something like that or somewhere along the line 
the they're not just talking about how nature's constantly destroying itself like the bird is eating the petal i close my eyes and i don't see the bird anymore or whatever but that probably there was this uh insidious force that um takes away the good things that people build for each other in a way or maybe is there a is it a culture canceling force like a, is it about also a colonialism basically is it um because when you think about the effects of capitalism on the world it did have this persuasion and violence at the same time there were people who were violently told to fall in line and then there were other people who were like oh we should do things that way and you know so that we can trade as uh, efficiently and we can have um, the things that we want, I guess. I was kind of reading about um, like the years after the uh, colonialism of Mexico, the, the, col the colonial era of Mexico. And there's like, you know, a, there's so, so, such a diversity of reactions to the colonialism and one of the things we forget is it wasn't just violence it wasn't just um spanish people saying you're our slaves now but it was also the indigenous people of mexico saying like oh let's um let's kind of start to model part of our culture after what they're doing um in order to i don't know build out and have like broader communications with uh with the rest of the world um and have their own gold or whatever so there was like the persuasive element um in certain colonial undertakings i guess yeah i think no, i mean oh go ahead Efren. no i really no no go ahead oh um I was just going to say, uh, yeah, like uh, David Harvey talks about the, the persuasive force of neoliberalism in the world that started like in the 1970s. And the way he approaches it is that, yeah, like neoliberalism pretty much like took the highest value it could find to use it as a persuasive force. And that value was freedom. Yeah. Um, and then we, what happens now is that we tend to pit, um, or at least the way we, we go about these debates is that we tend to pit freedom versus like equality. And people say, well, you can't have equality because you have to have freedom first or something like that. Um, and I just think, well, I think we need both at the same time, but you know, that's another point. Um, but yeah, that's like the persuasive force of neoliberalism that he's talking about there. And um, that I feel like you're kind of touching on also, Josh, right? That, uh, that uh, yeah, like there's a, like, of course, colonialism came in with some persuasion also, besides, you know, violence. Um, or even that both violence and persuasion were working in tandem and together um, in many ways. And the result can be the same or the, you know, cancellation. 
cancellation still might be what happens. Right, but like here, cancellation is kind of weird, right? Because it's not like mathematical cancellation, you know? It's like, mm. you know, four minus four or something like that, and then you just get zero. This is, I feel like the cancellation here is, or is it zero here in this poem? Do, do people understand what I'm talking about or no? I think I know what you mean. It's not, it's like more like a sine wave or something like that, where the average is zero, but it's actually very tumultuous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we Number. brought math into poetry. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering then, um, yeah, so like, I feel like what the, the speaker in this poem is doing is just like, they're looking at these roses, right? And like using them as an occasion to like ponder like their their experience. Um, and part of that has to do with like remembering this kind of trauma of like being in exile and being a family waiting in terror and looking at how the world is canceling itself or like canceling again is such a weird word here it's just like killing itself murdering itself, In itself. itself. Yeah. cannibalizing cannibalizing itself yeah yeah but is there a cancellation of the cancellation or something like that where the negative effects are also canceled i don't know or is it more just that everything's deteriorating? In the poem, no, because uh, the, 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 the speaker has a moment where they're unable to see the world canceling itself by looking at the roses just for a brief moment. <clears throat> it's like there's always some kind of remainder, right? There's some kind of remainder of some goodness somewhere. But I don't think the, the poem really wants to think that that goodness is God's like face, which is what the poem begins with, right? This idea that like, there's this uh, theophany, right? Where like God appears, but they're like, no, it's actually not God. It's like a wasp. <laughs> and then he says like, there's a wasp that's like near my cheek as they're like looking at these flowers or something. Yeah, I think they're thinking about some kind of remainder of goodness in this, in the world that you can just kind of see briefly for a moment. But does that like negate the cancellation? That'd be interesting if like all you need is like a second of beauty to just cancel everything. It really kind of uh, speaks up for art or something, you know, like if it wasn't right. for human creativity then it would just be this constant um deterioration or something i think there would be a lot more suicides if there weren't uh the ability to create art and express and appreciate it including of course music and any form of artistic expression of course mm. yeah like humans we need to make art or we'll die a lot of people i think would there's a lot of civil Sorry, there's a lot of Sylvia Plaths out there, I think. That's kind of crazy to think like we're the only animal that has to do this like weird act to survive. Making poetry, 
Josh, you, that's what you mean, right? Making poetry as an act of survival or something? Yeah. Like For some among us, obviously not everybody. We're some animal that's, and our brain grew so big that if we don't constantly like try to calm it down with, with like moments of beauty through art, creativity, we'll die. We'll just kill ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I think we're, yeah, we're, we're humans because we're able to think in the abstract, right? I don't think any other animals, well, that we know of are able to really think in the abstract. I mean, humans aren't even real able to really think in the abstract unless they're trained to. So it's like, um, so I guess because of that, our minds can go bonkers and then we need to like have things to like settle ourselves. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, don't I think know. it's time guys. <laughs> um, since our word of the day is persuasion, it's time. It's time to persuade. Where are you at with God and how can you make me where you are with uh, God? <laughs> I thought you were going to say that the podcast is, is over and that was much less scary than what you ended up being. <laughs> uh, so just comment on Efren's, what Efren was saying. This is what I heard you say, Efren, that, that art or Josh or both of you or all of you, um, that art continue, continually persuades people to continue living. You can take that away from the conversation. Absolutely. We need these moments that don't feel like a cancellation. Yeah. Yeah. I think one time Winston Churchill, it might have been Winston Churchill, they were they, they were talking about the Second World War. Or, or, or yeah, was it the Second World War? I don't know. But this is the main metaphor is this. They told them like something like, oh, like what should we, we need to make space or we need to like make space for some armaments. And they go, let's just get rid of the, uh, the, the museum of art. Or let's just, you know, and in, I think Winston Churchill said, well, if we get rid of the art, what is it we're actually fighting for in the end of the day? So like, right, he had this like sort of comment about what, the, what art means. So, yeah, I think so. Um, I think I think it's also because we have existential angst and I'm not sure. No, you know what? I think other animals do. I think my cat had existential angst. But, yeah. They totally do. The pets, <laughs> they, they take on our anxieties. Dolphins are very intelligent. I'm sure they've got, you know. Some, something going on there. Oh, yeah. Well, dolphins are a special, like a unique kind of animal. But yeah, for sure. Because dolph dolphins commit suicide, right? I don't think any other animals other than us and dolphins commit suicide. I'm not sure. I didn't even know dolphins did that. I, they, I they did. They did. Look that they up swim, I didn't know. They swim all the way down, as far down as they can go, and just kill themselves. Pressure, yeah. yeah. Or lack oh, of oxygen. Yeah, that's, oh, that's so what? bad. What? I like dolphins. They're, I like noble creatures, you know, dogs, dolphins, horses, you know, these are very like, they're so selfless. Like they, they look out for us and we don't do crap for them half the time. Well, the dogs and horses, we feed them, I guess, but yeah. And we eat the dolphins occasionally. <laughs> Damn it. That's sometimes the best thing we can do for a species is decide we're going to eat you because then we like farm it. <laughs> And make a million, you know, make a no, million. In this tuna. case, in, in this tuna case, they, they get caught up in the tuna nets, unfortunately. It's not like they're trying to hunt the dolphin. Oh, right. No. But like alligators or something, like if we have a more robust alligator meat industry, then we'll have more alligators. Or, or like we save the bison by eating it, I think. I don't know. 
what that I think it sounds like propaganda for the agro business. On agra. I don't know. We grow your beef. <laughs> so what if there was, uh, so what if instead of persu persuasion, there was just something like invitation or something like that? Like, there's I, our song. I invite you to get vaccinated. And then like, if you, if you decline the invitation, then that's fine. Yeah, dude, that... That's my speed, yeah. You're right on, and I think the thing that's so upsetting is I used to feel like I learned so much from TV because I would watch, like, the nerdy shows for kids, you know? And, like, 3-2-1 Contact, uh, Square One or whatever. And it's like, can't you put something on this level for adults so that we can just understand <laughs> the basics of what's going on? Yeah, some of those kids shows were really good, man. Schoolhouse Rocks, PBS. Yeah, yeah. Even my yeah. students to this really day will, will mention, like, yeah, be like, you know, Mr. Rogers, I know what that is, you know, even though maybe they never watched it, but they've heard of it at least. You know? Sesame, Sesame Street, Street right? that's yeah. Like, it's like the same, the same stuff that we grew up with, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's nice because that's rare these days. I, I too often I make references. They just they look at me like I have turds coming hanging out of my mouth. Whoops! Oh, nice. <laughs> what are you showing us? I wanted to read that. I wanted to read that. What's going on? Yeah. I was, I was, I was trying to. I was trying to do it fast, but no, it was too too quick. I'll tell you about it later. Sounds like Josh is part of some international intrigue. I no, think uh, <laughs> Connery wants us to do the song now. It's time for us to do the, the song. I was just suggesting. I'm not saying we have to do it now, but I just say as soon as you said that word, it just popped into my mind. And I'm like, perfect. Yeah, we word. can transition to uh, song uh, song time. It's a badass song too. Which what song is it? it? Santana. You never heard it? You've no. got an open invitation. I'm not doing it justice, but I, hopefully you you get my point. Cool. Sounds good. Really Sounds cool guitar lick. Yeah, really cool guitar lick. The lyricist, I don't know the guy's name, but it's really good. It works. And of course, you know, the Carlos on guitar, you can't go wrong. You are invited to enlightenment. That's what we need. That should be our message. No, that's, I don't know. Prepaid reservation. It's tough to be right without being a little shit about it, right? <laughs> True. A little shit as in like an annoying shit or like feeling like a little shit, like a little crap? No, feeling like a, like a brat or something like. Okay, like a little shit, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's how you meant it. Yeah, I totally get that. <laughs> One of my <laughs> nicknames as a kid was Sangron. <laughs> that's I'm used a lot. to it. It's like that's why I became a teacher because a captive audience. Yeah. So I don't have to. I don't have to. You know, dump all this info on my friends. I could do it to a captive audience where they pay me. But I still dump it on you all anyway. That's okay. Oh no! Thank you, Efren. Thank you very much. I'll the take. Dodgers. I'll take movies for two hundred. Is there another? Yeah. Is there another word with? I mean, another song with the word persuasion in it? I can't think of one. We could do invitation. That's pretty good. 
it's close. Christmas it's very close. Season. It's the closest I think we're going to get. Um, crystal blue persuasion. Did you just say that? Oh, shit. Yeah, I said crystal persuasion, but yeah, it's crystal it's blue. Oh, yeah, that's the wow, full title. That's a classic. Yeah. Dang. I mean, it's in the title, so it's hard to beat that. But Santana's a good option, too. Ugh, whatever. I'm do happy people, to do that. Crystal- do people just hear um, what drug is that again? Meth. Oh, the meth. The. Um, yeah, do people just hear meth in that song in that song title now? Though? Only because of Breaking Bad. Every well, that's why before that they didn't. I don't think. Yeah, very few people did probably. Because that's not what the song is about. But no, of what course is it not. about? They're just like Breaking Bad. Just like make that song into like a, a narco corrido or something. <laughs> well, because also because the the, the meth that he was cooking up, you know, the it was it was blue, you know, kind of like just a retro touch again, you know, yeah. because there was the particular chemical he was using i forget what it was but yeah so it, they called it crystal blue or sky blue or something like that in the, in the series what is the original song supposed to be about love just a love song yeah. he's calling love crystal blue what the heck? motown come on i don't i don't think it's motown Oh, not Motown, sorry, but it's in, the, it's in the style of Motown. It's um, what's oh God, what's his face? Um, Phil Spector, you know, Phil Tommy, kind of stuff. Tommy and the Sean. No, it's Tommy no. James. It's Tommy James. James. I don't know who that is. He's a 60s singer, yeah, in that vein of the Phil Spector kind of guys. Um, you're right, though, not Motown. That was silly of me. Yeah, I just don't know what that song's about. It just seems like a weird, weird. Um, catchy. It's catchy. It just seems like a weird. It's also from 1969, so I think it's hard to say "Crystal Blue Persuasion" without making people think of drugs in some way or another. Uh, ironically, I'm reading the Wikipedia about it, and it's it's actually um, it was inspired by uh, passages from the Book of Revelation and Ezekiel. Ah, of course. <laughs> told you we all love god somewhere somewhere deep down just kidding just kidding it's a bit of a hippie song too i feel because of that one line that says like people are changing ain't it beautiful come on people now smile on your brother Everybody get together. All right. Well, that sounds good. That sounds good. Just use that song. Um, all right. Oh, there's that other one. Oh, God. I can't remember the name now. It goes, I'd love to change the world, but I don't know what to do. I don't know. But I do so I leave it up to you. Very unpersuasive when people just start singing, uh, you know, at dinner. Sometimes I. You're on screen share. You're on screen share, Josh. Yeah, that's okay. Oh, thank you for the prompt. Thanks for listening to Extreme Vocabulary. (laughs) Our music is from Wagyan Paradise by... uh, I forgot. Erica Imura? No, no, that's... um, No, it is her. Oh, Erica Imura. Yes, my instincts were correct. Email us at extremevocabulary at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram at extremevocab. I was Aaron... He was Abe, he was Efren, and he was Josh. Hi. Um, 
Yeah. What is our song, by the way? One more time. Crystal Blue Persuasion. Crystal Blue Persuasion by Tommy James and the Chandrells. I think it's hard to beat that. Think about it. I don't know. Listen to the song. Think about what, how, what they're talking about. Persuasion's in the title. Yeah. It works that way. All right. It does. See you next time, everybody. Bye. Excellent. Another one in the can. Stop.